Well, good morning, Harvest, and uh, I tell you, I just uh, as a comment, I'm just so grateful for Kyle and Elizabeth being here. Um, I was standing there here in the second service, Kyle, and just even really reflecting upon back uh, some time ago when Pastor Brian made mention that you were going to be joining them as a worship pastor. I was so thrilled for them, and just it's like one more guy of just great caliber who loves the Lord, loves to worship the Lord, lead people in it, and we're just thrilled. Thank you for being a part of your really. We're, uh, we're excited. Next Sunday, we're going to have DJ, who's the worship pastor of Indy South. So we're like Indy, Indy, Indy. So um, great time. Hey, uh, I understand that right at about 12 o'clock, 12.02, that um, there's the potential, depending upon where the wind is blowing today, that we could have like a B-52 flying over towards the racetrack. Would that not be cool? <laughs> So uh, if that happens, uh, bring it on, all right? Um, That's not just the roof. (laughs) Happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. Uh, A little history on Memorial Weekend. Uh, Three years after the Civil War ended on May 5th, 1868, Major General John Logan, who was the head of the Union of U.S. Veterans, established Decoration Day as a time for the nation to decorate the graves of the war dead with flowers. And the first observance of Decoration Day was held later that month on May 30th, 1868 at Arlington National Cemetery across from the Potomac River at Washington, D.C. About 5,000 people were in presence at that time. And uh, it was said that the grave of the soldiers were decorated with the choicest flowers of springtime. And then, as now, small flags are placed on each grave. Uh, It was urged, quote, we should guard their graves with sacred vigilance. Let pleasant paths invite the coming and going of reverent visitors and fond mourners. Let no neglect, no ravages of time testify to the present or to the coming generations that we have forgotten as a people the cost of a free and undivided republic. Jump ahead to 1950. 1915, inspired by the poem In Flanders Fields, which says, We cherish too the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led. It seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies. Moina Michael came up with the idea from that poem to wear red poppies on Memorial Day in honor of those who died serving the nation, and thus the red poppies today up on the screens. After World War I, Memorial Day was expanded to honor those who have died uh, for all American wars. And then in 1971, Memorial Day was declared a national holiday by an act of Congress. In December 2000, Congress passed and the president signed into law the National Monument of Remembrance Act. It was uh, to encourage all Americans to pause wherever they are at at 3 p.m. local time on Memorial Day for a minute of silence to remember and honor those who have died in service to the nation. As Moment of Remembrance founder Carmela Laspada says, um, it is a way we can all help put the memorial back in Memorial Day. I'll say there's something very powerful about the past. Uh, there's something very powerful and frankly something very important about remembering the past. Um, Remembering the past helps to put a context for a present. Um, 
remembering the past puts a context not only for our present, but also provides a context for into our future. Um, and I understand there's lots of weird stuff going on in our world and even lots of weird stuff going on in our country. But I just want to say in the whole of history, there is something very special and unique about this country. And it is important and worthwhile to remember what has been given for this country. Um, I think that there are some unique attributes. There have been historically some unique marks, if I might call it, that make this country kind of on game, if I can term it that way in light of where we're going today. And I say that because I think the same is true with ministry. There are some unique uh, marks of ministry that is on game. And uh, remembering the past is an important thing as well. And it helps to remind us of what we have been entrusted with for the present and into the future. And uh, if you would open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to kind of enter in a passage that has what is naturally going on with this text, this idea of remembering what has already been taken place. And I'll clarify that here in a little bit. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 4. Um, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm calling today, as you can see in your sermon notes page, Five Marks of Ministry on Game. Five Marks of Ministry on Game. And I'll say this, uh, uh, whether it be ministry in your home, whether it be ministry at work or at school or in your small group or in our children's ministry, whether it be in teaching, preaching. Now, by the way, all of life is ministry, right? All of life is ministry. Here are far, five marks today of a ministry that's on game and applies to every aspect of it. Um, so Bible's on your lap, Bible's open. If I could, just uh, especially today, Memorial Day, would you stand and uh, with me here? And let me read. I'm actually going to start from the beginning. Uh, we might be doing this for a little while here as I'm crawling my way through the book of Thessalonians. Uh, we don't have too much text behind us. So let me start in chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, let me read aloud. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, we know, sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our God came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter two. For you yourselves know, brothers, for you yourselves know, sisters, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 
For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And Lord, this is your word, and so we dive into your word, and uh, I just pray that your word would do a work in us. Thank you that you have given us your words, and we have the opportunity to gather to spend the next bit of time just savoring it and taking it in and, and then applying it to our lives. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat. Chapter 2, verse 1. The very first word that we have here, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, is the three-letter word, uh, four. Four. It's not the number four, that's four letters. It's the three-letter word, four. It's a conjunction. (laughs) All you students who just finished school, hey, English is exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I never really liked it myself. Um, It's a conjunction. Uh, I'll note here that through chapter one and actually into chapter two, there's a whole bunch of these fours. In fact, let me point them out to you because I know you're really curious where they're at. Uh, Chapter one, verse four, starts with four. Uh, Four. And then verse eight in chapter one, four. And verse nine, four. And chapter two, verse one, starts with four. And then we read in verse three, it says four. And then in verse five, which we'll start entering into next Sunday, it says four. Why am I bringing all this up? Because oftentimes when we read in our Bibles and we see a chapter there, we think there's a complete break in thought or movement or or structure. But there's been a building that's been going on here. There's four and four and four. Uh, Conjunctions connect thought. They connect clauses. They connect sentences which are connecting thought. So all of this has connection that's going on through. And I want for us to realize that. We're not starting something brand new. We're continuing on through this. I do want to note here that the four of chapter two, verse one, does change a little bit of shift of angle. In chapter one, all of the discussion is about what Paul, Silas, and Timothy know about God's people in Thessalonica, okay? It's Paul, Silas, and Timothy saying, we're thankful to God for you, for this, and for this, and for this, and for this. And now the four in chapter two actually takes a bit of a turn, and it's, now it's saying, for you know about us. Okay, so it's been about them. Now there is a bit of a turn that's continuing in thought, but now it's moving to them. There's some things that God's people in Thessalonica know about Paul, Silas, and Timothy in this. Four, for you yourselves know, brothers, you yourselves know, sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. In vain, in vain, it means it was not empty. It was not without impact. In other words, it had impact. It was worth it. To me, midway through the week, um, I came home and I told Karen, I said, it hit. It's like, this is a big deal to me, this verse. This verse is a big deal in it because, I'll just say, for me as a guy and, 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 and all of us in this, I think everybody wants to know, hey, the things that we're doing, are they worth it? I mean, don't you want to know that? I mean, whether it's your career, whether it's your school, whether it's relationships you have, whether it's ministry. I mean, this is my job. And part of it, I want, does this matter? Does this, does this have impact on it? And sometimes we have a hard time, like, how do we know that? How do we process that? And should we even be thinking that? 
And I might just note here, look at verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are thinking that as well. I mean, clearly out of this, saying that our coming to you was not in vain means that Paul, Silas, and Timothy have kind of had this conversation, this thing going on among them where they've been looking back at their time in Thessalonica and kind of like, hey, do you think that was worth it? Do you think that had impact? Do you think that whole time there mattered? And they come away from it and they go, that mattered. That was not empty. The question that comes out of that, which encourages me that they're asking that, so it's okay to ask that question. The question that comes out of that is how do they judge that? We have a hard time doing that, figuring out how do we know if something's matter? Hey, ministry leaders, I would just want for you to know you should be thinking, is this, am I having impact? Hey, everybody, you should be asking, hey, when it comes to the ministry, which is all of life, in my home, at work, at school, at, at church, and there, is it having impact? That's a good question to be asking. The question that then follows is, how do I know? How do I know? I'll just make an observation here, transparent with you. Um, For the first 20 years of kind of my adulthood, um, engaged in ministry as a lay person, I used to be in business, I remember just at times thinking as I looked at church leadership and noticing that it was kind of like when they were sizing up the ministry, there were two things that they were generally using to size up the value of the ministry, and that was attendance or programs. And then the more people they had, the more awesome they were, I guess. Or the more programs they had going on, the more things that were going on, obviously the, the greater impact they must be having. Um, well, it was interesting because I was thinking through this this week. Uh, kind of then in my own judgmental attitude towards them, I then was recollecting how was I as a lay person involved in ministry in my church at the time, how was I measuring? And uh, I think I was doing the exact same thing. I mean, because Karen and I were involved in teaching an ABF, that was back in the day, in uh, adult Sunday school class. And I'll tell you, our Sunday school class was growing faster than everyone else's and was bigger than everyone else's. And we were doing the most stuff. So obviously, we had it going on, right? I was using the exact same measuring things as kind of those of who I was being critical of. And then I go back and consider my career And it was kind of like, what other guy did I know in their 30s had accomplished blank and blank and blank? What a fool. What a fool. And then let's carry it here. I mean, here I'm a senior pastor here, and let's carry it for all of us here. And there's the potential in this that it's like, hey, what other church on the west side of Indianapolis, less than 10 years old, has gone from zero to 1,000 and has their own building on 23 acres? And that means success before the Lord? Be careful. Be careful. Does that mean that we're on game? We love to stack and we love to compare, don't we? Hey, it's transparent day. If you're visiting with us, welcome. (laughs) It's being totally transparent with you. We just do. 
There's a part of that that's good. And I mean by that, there's a part of it we want to be able to have our lives matter. We want to have impact, and that's a good thing. The question is, what do we use to gauge that by? That's where we struggle. What are the the things that we use with it? And here's what's so cool. In the next three verses, Paul gives us five things that they are using to measure their ministry impact as I look at this. So let's go at it. You ready? Five marks of ministry on game. Five marks of ministry on game. Number one, when the mission is on game, and especially the mission passed. What do I mean by that? Let me read verses one and two. For you yourselves know that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Okay, let's work this out. What preceded uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy coming to Thessalonica mattered? That, that's kind of what Paul begins with here. He's saying, let me, let me remind you of a little history past here before we actually even put our feet in ground there in Thessalonica. And, and what's behind our ministry there, somehow that matters. I could say it this way. Mission history carries into mission present. Mission history oftentimes carries into mission present, whether for good or for bad. Uh, if that is true, then what was the mission story behind the ministry getting started in Thessalonica? I'm glad you asked. So here's the story. Here's the story. So the story you can see up on the map, this is the second missionary journey. Uh, which one? The first or the second? Second missionary journey. They're going back. They're going back to check in and, and doing some additional ministry. You can see on the screen Thessalonica, where it's at. You can see right before that in the movement of it, Philippi is shortly before, geographically, them entering into Thessalonica. So they were in Philippi before they were in Thessalonica. Chapter 2, verse 2 tells us references about their time in Philippi. And by the way, Acts 16, you can go and read it and get more detail about it. I'm not going to spend the time there this morning, but it talks about their time in Philippi. Now, verse 2 tells us that their time in Philippi resulted in suffering and being shamefully mistreated. So we kind of get an idea what went down there. Uh, we could say it that uh, essentially, if you go to Acts 16, they were brutally beaten, they were imprisoned in stocks. They were publicly disgraced. They were illegally punished. You see, Paul is a Roman citizen in Philippi uh, under Roman rule. It was an illegal thing for them to do what they did to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It was an illegal thing. But the leaders wanted to squash them out. You know, politics hasn't changed a whole lot. And they wanted to squash them out. And so they literally illegally... Uh, conducted some sabotage on there and trying to get them out of town. Why am I bringing up all of this? Because who, if they are, uh, let me call them a ministry huckster, if they're a ministry con, who in their right world would continue doing what they're doing if they just got the living life beat out of them? I'm telling you, cons don't do that, right? I mean, or else you're dumb. Okay, because you are not in it for that. You are in it, we'll talk about here in a little bit, what you can get out of it. Yet in this, Paul, Silas, and Timothy in verse two, it says, as you know, we had boldness in our God to then declare to you the gospel of God even in the midst of the conflict in Thessalonica. Does knowing that background matter? Yes, 
It does. It tells you who these guys are. It tells you what they are about. It gives you a context of understanding the mission. And the mission here is you can beat the living life out of me, and yet I am compelled to continue on to what God has called us to do, right? That is a mission. And that is a mission that is on game in Scripture. I can suffer, I can be mistreated, I can be humiliated, but listen, this mission is bigger than any of that because it's not about me. And that's why in verse two it says that in our God, that's the deal. They are in the Lord and that's what this is all about. And ministry that has a mission on game past is positioned to be a ministry that has an on game present and future. Can mission be changed from bad to good? Absolutely yes. Can it go from good to bad? Absolutely yes. But I think we can all agree that when the mission has been on game, it sets it up for the present and the future to remain on game. Okay? And this was a mission that was on game. Let me, let me carry that over into a practical application, I, if I can here. Singles, your mission for dating will carry over into your mission in marriage. How you date and what you date carries into future. And no one ever told me that. Or else I just never got it. And I always thought that once you get into marriage, everything just kind of changes. No. You just kind of carry your thinking and your idols and your things into it. You can grow and change. But it connects. Let me just say, if you're in school, if, if you're working towards a career, how you think about your schooling, how, how you work at it, how you see the goal of it all, that carries over into career. By the way, how you do ministry in children's ministry carries over into other areas of ministry. And how you do ministry at home carries over into children's ministry and carries over here. How we do things connects. All of life is ministry and all of it has a mission behind it. When the mission is on game, that is one of the measuring rods of ministry on game. Second mark of a ministry on game is the message is on game. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, for our appeal does not spring first from error. Does not spring from error. I love this, our appeal. He's not saying we came and like crunched Jesus down your throat. He's not saying we came and crammed it on you. We pressed you. The word that's used here is we came and we appealed to you. We encouraged you. We exhorted you. Uh, We called out to you. I love the way it's talking about this here. Our appeal, number one, did not spring from error. In other words, it was not wrong. It was not untruth. It was God's truth. What we were proclaiming to you in Thessalonica was the gospel. It was God's truth in that. Why is that important? Well, because if it's off truth, you're off game. And uh, another kind of transparent moment here, if I can. Straight up with you, there are times, um, just if you will, as a preaching pastor, where sometimes in some texts of Scripture, I really don't want to teach what, they, what it says. <laughs> you don't? No. Because to tell you the truth, who wants to teach that there is a hell? 
and what it is. I gotta tell you, if I had my choice, I wouldn't teach on that. Who wants to teach on that? And the whole thing of, you know, all roads lead to God. That would be cool, wouldn't it? You know, just run whatever track you want in your religious thing, all roads eventually lead to God. I kind of like that idea. Or universalism. You know what? Down the road, by the time it all gets to it, everybody's going to heaven because after all, there is no hell. That's gaining a lot of ground nowadays, by the way. Or the prosperity gospel. Just come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. I'm still waiting for that gig to work out. (laughs) But that's not the call of Scripture. Or let's just like get rid of Genesis because that causes some issues. Or Revelation because that causes some issues. Or Romans 3 through 6 because that causes some issues. Or Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 because I don't really like what it says with that. And, and, or let's just kind of bring in the whole idea that, you know, back in the 4th century, really what went on was there's just kind of these a bunch of, you know, cigar-smoking guys who got together and figured out about, you know, what books they wanted to have in it. And so really this isn't really what we, we, God really intended. This is not really the whole thing or part of the thing or it should have, you know, it's just been, hey, listen, and friends, I would just want to tell you all of that is error. And even if at times there are things, even like in chapter 1 where we talked about, and he chose you. Even if I can't square it all up in my mind, that's the truth. That's the truth. And so we proclaim that. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, when we came, we did not bring to you a human-derived uh, teaching. It was not human-sourced truisms. It was not personal philosophies. It was the truth of God, period. And that's who we are, and that's what we continue on. Marks of ministry on game include mission on game, message on game. Number three, motive on game. Look at the middle of verse 3, saying our appeal does not come from impurity. Impurity, uh, English Standard Version says impurity, New International Version, impure motives. New King James Version says uncleanness. Uh, It's all clear. The original word carries this idea. We did not come to you proclaiming the message of God with an opposite of pure motive. We did not come with the wrong motive motives. Why does he have to say that? Well, because in that day, as well as in this day, there are wrong motives that can go in proclaiming the word of God, whether it's publicly, say, in this form, or whether it's in all forms of kind of the proclamation of God's truth. And usually it breaks down to the three, money, power, and sex. Now, money, power, I think we could get. So what was back in the day? How do you get money and power? Well, back in that day when you don't even have the New Testament, you create your own cult, you do your own thing, you go around and you use people to get money and power. Now, for the PG-13 conversation, and I'll keep it straight, okay? Parents, it's all right. But then the sex part of it. We don't quite get that as much today, but it was a big, big thing back in that day. In that day, many of the uh, religious and cultic practices exalted sexual perversions. And sad to say, and as a result, they were very popular by men and women, by the way, in that day. They would proclaim that having sex with the temple prostitutes or with the cult leaders or others within the, the group 
was part of a ritual practice that would actually bring you closer to the gods. Now, can we all agree that's not right? Something just doesn't square up with that? Yeah. It's not. And that's why Paul here says, listen, when we came, we didn't do any of that. And you know that, right? You know that. That's what he's saying. We didn't do it that way. That's not who we are. We are completely different from everything going on. For our appeal does not spring forth from error or impurity. A fourth, the method is on game. The method is on game. Look at the end of verse three. And not from an attempt to deceive. An attempt to deceive. The word deceive there, it means to trap, to trick, to deceive. Literally, the Greek word would be used to reference a fish hook. Let's think about that for a minute. What's a fish hook about? Well, a fish hook is there to catch something, like a fish. Okay? Just make sure you're with me. It took me years of seminary to get that. But they call it a fish hook because it catches fish. But you just don't throw the hook out there. Why? Who's... What fish other than a carp would like grab a hold of just a hook and not even a carp would? You gotta put something on to make it look like what it isn't. You take that worm and you wrap it around, hook it around, oh, got it. And you throw it in and the fish looks and the fish, because I get fish and, and, and they look at it and they go, ooh, dinner and oh, and it's, it is, but it isn't. Or, or modern days, you know, with the lure thing, you know, like we take the lure with plastic or with wood and, and you know, we paint it, we even put the plastic thing on the front of it so it swims like a fish. And so the lure's going like this and the fish is going like this and the fish is thinking, oh, there's food. And it's like, you boom, and you grab it and you're like, boom, and you're like, woo, I just deceived the fish. <laughs> is that not true? Fishermen, you are in a complete hobby of deceiving. Okay, (laughs) that's really what's going on with that. Now, go fish. (laughs) Um, but, But that's the term here that's being used. And Paul is saying, we did not come from an attempt to fish hook you. We didn't do that. Back in that day, they would use fake teaching and, and even fake sorcery and magic to sweeten the hook, to make it look like what it's really not. Paul's like, we didn't do that. We weren't the Oz that you don't look behind the curtain to see. Hey, friends, the gospel does not need candy-wrapped. The gospel does not need to be wrapped in candy. Oftentimes that's happening in ministry. Where it's like the gospel alone isn't palatable or isn't whatever, and so we need to make it look just right. Hey, that's fish hook ministry. We're not about that here. Now, do know this. Did Paul, Silas, and Timothy work with wisdom to think through what they were going to teach and how they were going to teach? And did they uh, work to move 
thought and move intellect and to help people come to understand that? Absolutely they did, but that wasn't candy. In fact, next Sunday, we're going to be coming into the verses later on that tell exactly what this looks like. We loved you so much that we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, verse 8, but our lives as well. Listen, the gospel is not wrapped in candy. The gospel is wrapped in love and our life. That's it. It is wrapped in love and our life. And when that happens, the gospel just beams as it is. And that's what ministry on game is about. Mission on game, message on game, motive on game, method on game, and lastly, the mandate is on game. Verse four. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. The mandate. There's a reasonable question, I think, that the people of Thessalonica could ask, and we could ask, why them? I mean, why Paul, Silas, and Timothy? I mean, what, what made them so special with it? What are their credentials, would be the question. What are their credentials that made them be the ones that are proclaiming this? Well, let's work the text here in a couple words in it. Approved by God, approved by God. That idea contains within it the idea of having been tested and found valid. Uh, tested and found valid. It's not they're saying that, listen, we are not self-appointed proclaimers of the gospel. We're not self-appointed. And it's not, we're not doing this on our own authority. Biblically, the reality is God has appointed us and we're doing it by God's authority and by God's power alone because we're just a bunch of schmucks. But it is the Lord that is the power. It is the Lord that is the strength. It is the Lord that is the one that is approved because it is the Lord's teaching. And I'll just make a comment on vocational ministry. This shouts careful, community-confirming, time-tested movement towards vocational ministry. Let me say that again. This confirms and shouts out to me, careful, community-confirming, time-tested movement toward vocational ministry. At my stage of life now, at 55, I've just seen too many guys who have stepped into vocational ministry because they have a passion. And a passion for ministry does not equate to a full-time call to ministry, by the way. Because everybody should be passionate for ministry, right? But yet, if you understand the stories of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and I don't have time to go through them all today, but look into them. Even Paul, and we think Paul was going down the road to Damascus and the Lord Jesus Christ shows up, which he did, and like put him face down. He was not looking for the Lord. He was looking to crush the Lord. And the Lord shows up, brings him to himself. But out of that, Paul then did not immediately jump into the ministry kind of thing that he's doing. Actually, it took some time, some years of time. Paul goes in and he's, he's with other people. He's with uh, God's people pouring into him. And then we find even out of that that his, quote, call into vocational mission ministry here was not a self-done thing. It was actually the church coming around and verifying and validating that to have happened and getting behind them and saying, yes, we see the Lord on you to be doing that. And then he never goes anywhere alone. 
And Timothy's story is very similar with that. And, and you see this community is behind. And, and I just say, uh, I'm so grateful for that having been the case in our life back in the day. When uh, people we were involved with started asking us, hey, have you guys thought about ministry? No, maybe and I'm telling you, just with this, there's a the kind of thing that's driven down in where Paul, Silas, and Timothy are saying, listen, you need to understand we're not like the other ministry hucksters that are out there. We're not self-appointed. There has been a God-approved thing that is taking place in our lives. And notice what they are entrusted with. They're entrusted with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're not entrusted with our gospel. They're entrusted with God's gospel, Can you imagine that? This word entrusted. Here Paul, Silas, and Timothy, God speaking, I entrust my gospel for you to minister. Woo! Man, that that should be like, whoa, me, really? Really? Yeah, I'm talking to you, man. Me, really? Oh, by the way, all of us here, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you've been redeemed in Christ, by the way, you have been approved to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your home, at work, in your neighborhood, at school, in all of life. Some are in it vocationally, but all are in it together. Entrusted with the gospel. Man, entrusted with it. Entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ. Approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And notice, so what do they do? So we speak. Why? Because we've been entrusted with it. To be quiet about it would be wrong. We have been entrusted with it. Oh, and by the way, we don't do it to please man. We do it to please God, who is the one who tests our hearts back to the motive. So let me just kind of wrap things up in this way. I'm uncomfortable doing this, but I'm going to do it. Uh, Let me uh, make a comment as for this regarding me. Um, If this pastoring, preaching role that I kind of uniquely have and presently have becomes about the fame of my name, can we all agree? I and we have a problem. Can we all, seriously, we all agree with that? Okay, because nowadays, sometimes there gets too much personality behind the proclamation of it. And I'm not saying God doesn't use people in, in, in big ways. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying we gotta be really careful, and I have to be really careful. This place is not about the fame of my name. This is about the fame of the Lord's name, and that needs to be front and center all the time, reviewed and analyzed and making sure, right? Check our hearts. Oh, by the way, and the same for you. <laughs> okay, same for you. So in, in, you're raising your family. Your, your family, they, they are not to become the idols because of what they do for you. They, they, they are to become the thing that you yearn that the Lord could be using you through your family, in your family, to grow you and to grow them for the Lord's glory. And that means when our kids grow up and our kids get older that they're not there for our self-glory. They're there to, for the, to, to move on and to be able to, to for the Lord's glory. And, and, and that's the way life works. And by the way, the ministries that we have here, it's not about your thing and your way for the fame of your name. True? It's serving as a faith family together. 
for the fame of the Lord. Uniquely gifted in a unique plurality as one. And the Lord takes great glory in that. Five marks of ministry that's on game. And the mission is on game, the message is on game, the motive is on game, the method is on game, and the mandate is on game. I just want to encourage you to take all of these and to run the areas of your life and all areas of ministry. How, where, how are you doing with these? Is the mission on game? Message? Motives? Methods? Mandate? By the way, final thing I'll mention as you look on the screen. All of those ministry uh, measuring marks, none of them say attendance. Does attendance matter? I think it does. Because we're to make disciples and in that. But let me say this here. There are ministries and churches that are mission on game, message on game, motive on game, method on game, mandate on game that aren't this size. And yet they are pressing ahead and the Lord is using them in different ways. To, to multiply, because we believe that healthy things grow and healthy things multiply, but it doesn't always look the same in that. And so here we are just even as a church, I just want for us to know, does attendance matter? Sure it matters. Does giving matter? Sure it matters. Do programs matter? Sure they can matter. Does coolness matter? No. <laughs> does popularity matter? No, not really. Let's be a church that's on game together. So Lord, I'm going to leave it there. We are a people entrusted. We are a people entrusted. And um, here we have five marks that are just laid before us on how we can be able to analyze in our own lives, both as a church, but in each of our own lives and ministry, and how are we seeking to measure up, to have impact. And these are the kinds of things that we can look and we can analyze and we can work through and we can work on and we can improve if need to be changed. And I pray you'd give us the wisdom to be able to do that. Lord, I want to thank you so much for this place and for how you have been so kind in your grace here. We certainly are not a perfect church, but boy, just the mission passed and seeking to be a church, staying on message of the gospel and seeking to be a church to watch and monitor and make sure our motives are right for your glory, for the fame of your name. God, even just to evaluate our methodology and how we go about the proclamation and the, and the sharing and the discipleship, not fishhook ministry. God, the mandate... Lord, we're not here doing what we're doing here because we're somehow the sham wow of ministry. That's not the case at all. God, we are here doing what we are doing because of you. Because you have called us and you have equipped us and you've given us your word and, and you are the one that is behind it all. So God, we don't pat ourselves on the back. We just declare to you, oh my God, you are the one to adore. You are the one that uh, is, is the glory in it all. So God, I do, I pray, just take our lives, take our lives more for the adoration 
of the God who redeems all things. In your name we pray. Amen.